And I say it's so much more when love is real It's the touch of her hand on my cheek that I feel And I know when I lie away Hello, it's good to be with you again. Uh, this is the fifth one in my Inversing Your Life podcast series. And today, I'm getting back to the basics. The question that we're going to be answering is, who am I? Now, that question can be answered many, many different ways. Back in the 60s, there are a whole lot of hippies who left you know, the world as we know it and said, no, I have to drop out and find out who I am. I think an awful lot of people found out that there really wasn't a way to find out who you are. You find out who you are by living your life. And the answer to who I am may be different when I'm a teenager, when I'm in my 20s, when I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, in your 40s and 50s, when you may be having a family or choose not to have a family. And who are you then? How about when those children leave home? Who are you then? And how about in your 60s, 70s, and older when you're retired? Who are you then? Are you the same person? Well, there is this thread, isn't there, that goes through the whole thing, who I am. But it needs to be answered over and over again. We're going to talk about that, and I'm going to give you some assignments to try and figure out how to answer that question. Who am I? So, um, one of the age-old answers to that is that, oh, I am, I am genetically a product of my mother and my father, my four grandparents, you know, the ancestors before them. That's genetic. And there have been a lot of studies on uh, that, uh, the Minnesota twin studies. It's really interesting because it does show you that identical twins that are reared apart that didn't know one another have some really defining characteristics that are, are like one another. So we know, we know there's genetics involved in it. And then how does the environment come into that? Am I the same person I was when I was a teenager, when I am 75 years old? Or what has the environment changed in the meantime? What did the environment of the womb do? How did that change things? And we know that that does change things. So there's this delicate balance, isn't there, between environment and um, genetics. But we can't really change our genetics, but we can change our environment. And that, that's, that's the hope here. Um, okay, so I'm going to start by reading a book. Excuse me, not reading a whole book. By reading a poem from my Between Tahlequah and Tulsa poetry book. This came out a few years ago. And this poem is about my grandpa. Now, living in the South right now, or Oklahoma is like the South, living in the South right now, I realized that people down here really knew their grandparents. They talked to them, they touched them. Uh, they had names like Nana for them. Well, I grew up in Minnesota in a Scandinavian and German culture where grandparents were formal. And the grandpa that I'm talking about in this poem is Grandpa Knoblach. We always called our grandparents by their last name. We didn't touch them. We didn't talk to them. If they needed to know the answer to a question like, where did you hide my such and such? They would ask us 
that was the only time we talked to our grandparents. There really was very, very little relationship at all. So I'm going to read this poem. And this has something to do with heredity. Okay. They say temperaments mostly what you're born with. A heritable slice of grandpa or Aunt Doll. I can list the cranky and crazy, but you don't want to hear that whole litany of kin. So let me begin and end with Grandpa Knobloch, called by his last name, formal as he was. Watched in silence, quiet as he was, but remembered for his wrinkled face and pink gum grin as he pulled out his teeth and spit a wad of vile brown tobacco into his red Folgers coffee can. Once a farm boy, he was descended from kings of Denmark and Sweden, Poland and France, from royalty who danced in ballrooms of gold leaf, but who, through the years, became burnished tillers of the earth. Still light-hearted, though rheumatism ached in his bones, in retirement he'd walk four blocks downtown for a beer with his buddies, thinking Grandma didn't know, but she did. She knew he needed the harvest of stories and daily brew with old farmer friends. He'd come home to the shed and the Model T he bought new and polished every day and on rainy days took out to spy on the yields of other farmers' fields and smile. That was about as much as I knew about my grandpa Knobloch. Well, that poem starts out with the word temperament. You know, think about it for a minute. If you have children of your own, did they have the temperament they were born with? Boy, mine, my two do. My two children couldn't be any more different. They could not be any more different. And they were born that way. They were born with that personality that they kept their whole life. Now, that doesn't, doesn't say that their behavior can't be changed, but their core temperament they were born with. I want you to think about you. Have your parents ever said to you, you know, you are just like your Aunt June. I, I just can't believe it. I mean, how did I get a kid just like this sister that I couldn't stand? Has anybody ever said that to you? Or, or have they said, wow, you're jolly, just like, you know, Uncle Phil or whoever it was. And music, oh my gosh, you've got his musical talent too. So I want you to think about those things. What kinds of things might you have inherited from that extended family of yours? And how has that changed you? You know, my husband, the pediatrician, has told me many times about a really, really interesting study. And um, you'll be able to understand this instantly because it's so simple. If you have a cranky baby and a mild mom, and here we're talking about temperaments again, you're going to be okay. That baby's going to be okay because that mild mom is going to be able to be patient with that cranky baby. Okay? If you have a mild baby with a mild mom, now you might think that that's okay. And it, and, and it is in most cases going to be okay, but they are, they are at risk for neglect because that baby isn't going to cry for what it needs. 
And the mom is just, eh, the baby's okay, may, may not give the child what they need. So they're not going to be neglected, but they are at risk for it. Okay, now let's go back to mild baby, cranky mother. Mild baby, cranky mother is probably going to be okay because she's cranky, but the baby's not going to upset her because he, he or she is a mild baby, okay? And let's go to the fourth one, which is cranky baby, cranky mother. If we're talking about those four, four, <laughs> those two temperaments, cranky, cranky baby mother, that's the one that is at risk for abuse. So it's very simple to understand just those two things, being cranky or being mild. And then, of course, we know that there are tons and tons of temperaments out there, not just those two, cranky and mild. But you understand the idea there. And that is something that's inherited, probably, a person's temperament. Okay. So, oh, I know. I wanted to tell one more thing. My daughter, who is... She had a really mild temperament. The two of us, two of us did any, everything together. I'd put her in a little chair and sit next to the dental chair when I got my teeth fixed. I mean, she just was a really nice little kid. But at six months, we were at, at a university and they were calling for babies for a, a psychology experiment. And I called them up and I said, well, I have a six-month baby. You're not going to hurt her, are you? They said, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with that. It would never hurt a child. So I took her in. Yeah, you remember, this is six months old, and she's my first, my oldest. And she never took the pacifier, just didn't like it. But they gave her a pacifier in this experiment. And if she sucked on it hard enough, a bell would ring. Okay? Didn't take her very long to start sucking really hard on that pacifier because she obviously loved to hear the song of that bell. Okay. But the reason for it was not to figure out if they could make her suck hard on the pacifier. The whole reason of the experiment was to, to find out how long it would, ex it would take to extinguish that response of sucking hard to get the bell. So after a while, they stopped ringing the bell. And they said most babies within about you know four to five minutes, they stopped sucking the pacifier because they figured out that the bell wasn't going to ring anymore. Only my Six months old, kept going for 20 minutes, and then they stopped the experiment. And and I looked at him and I said, Well, you, you can't just stop an experiment. Then it's it's not science if you don't put everybody into the equation. And they said, No, no, it is. We're just going to pretend she never came in today. Her data is not going to go in there at all. And I said, What's going on here? And one of the researchers, the younger one, looked at me and, and he said, You've got a stubborn child. And it was interesting because she did inherit that as part of her temperament. And she is still to this day stubborn, but at least she knows it. And I never let her forget it. That it's something she has to keep working on. That is inheritance. Because at six months, I hadn't taught her to be stubborn. My husband hadn't taught her to be stubborn at six months. That was inherited in a temperament. All right, I want to go on to the other side of that, the environmental side, and not just, just that. And I'm going to read a different poem from my Inversing Your Life book. And this one is called Four Generations of Women. 
And I want you to listen carefully because this is the one you're going to get an assignment about. And this is from my Inverse in Your Life book. Four Generations of Women. Okay. Grandma Anne, actually, see, I would have called her Grandma Canobla, but in this poem, I call her Grandma Anne. Grandma Anne's nimble hands wove yarn into sweaters, the old country way. No wrist movement, yarn caught and held by taut fingers. She wove it tightly, smoothly, always her pattern in mind, knitting together the sometimes opposite twists for cable or ribbing. We learned it her way. My mother chose not to knit. She used her fingers and fingernails to fashion hair. Her pattern always in mind, combing together the sometimes opposite twists for braid and roll. I knit a little, try to avoid my hair, but write poems tightly, smoothly, always my pattern in mind, twisting words into braids, cables, sometimes warm as Icelandic wool, sometimes snarled and broken. My daughter, too, has learned to knit in a smooth, wristless fashion, but her pulling is tight, and her color-patterned sweaters buckle beneath the weight of yarns carried behind. Now, you probably have to know something about knitting to understand that, but you know, if you knit with a couple colors, you have to pull one of the colors behind, and if you don't leave but loose enough, then the whole thing gets, um, eh, can't think of the word now, but anyway, it, it, it doesn't fit right. It's not loose enough. It's puckered. It's puckered. Anyway, so there I talk about four generations of women, very strong women. And did you get that I use the same line for all four of them? Knitting together the sometimes opposite twists for cable or ribbing, combing together the sometimes opposite twists for braid and roll. My mother was a beautician. Twisting words into braids, cables, sometimes warm as Icelandic wool, sometimes snarled and broken. And then my daughter, her pulling is tight and her color patterned sweaters buckle beneath the weight of yarns carried behind. So I'm using the same image of knitting throughout the whole thing, but I'm not talking about knitting a sweater in all of them. I'm talking about hair, I'm talking about poetry, I'm talking about life itself. And what I want you to do is to think about something in your life that that you can put into kind of a little line and then relate that to your grandmother or grandfather, if you're a guy, father, mother, whoever raised you, basically, mostly, and to you, and then if you have children, down to them. What What line is there that goes from one to the other to the other to the other? Now, that knitting is environmental. I mean, I learned that from my grandma. My daughter learned to knit for me. I'm trying to teach my granddaughter to knit. But that I keep it, the wrists tight, and I do it like this tight. That's a temperamental characteristic. <laughs> so we're talking about genetics and environment. And how does the environment change between my grandma, who knit and was a farmer's wife, and my mother, who became a, a beautician in the urban world, not, not the country world. And me, who, who knits together words, poetry. And I came from 
an almost silent background. And my daughter, who is an urban person, who's very intellectual and organizes her world in a different way than I do. So if you can think of something like that, some metaphor, a little line metaphor that you can use for four generations, maybe five generations, only three if you have three, or two if you have two, that maybe brings in something genetic, but also talks about the environment. And again, remember, today's subject is who am I? I came from the genetic stock of those people, my family, but I also came from the environmental stock of those people only till I was 18 and I left home. And then all of a sudden, the environmental stock got really big, didn't it? And I have been married to the same person for over 55 years. And that's quite an environmental stock there. What have I learned from him? What environment went into my brain from living for 50 years with a person? That's more than 18 years, my first few uh, my first family, isn't it? So I want you to think about who am I, both genetically and environmentally, emotionally, spiritually, however you want to do it. And write that this week. Now, again, it's for you. It's not for me. <laughs> you write it for you. Read it and think about what does this tell me that I really didn't know before? And next week, we're going to do a little bit more of Who Am I with some other poems and some other things to think about. So for now, it's great being with you, and we'll see you again in a week. So much Bye. more when love is real. It's the touch of her hand on my cheek that I feel. And I know when I lie awake, my every care heals. And I say it so